Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Well, good morning to you. How are we doing today? Happy New Year. Feels like we've already been in this year for a while, doesn't it? One weekend, right? Um, it's really good to see you, really good to get started in 2024 together. Uh, I do have a couple things for you as we get rolling this morning. The first thing Mike just mentioned and that is an update on where we stand as of Friday with our Christmas offering. Uh, for those of you that might be wondering, well, Friday was part of 2024. How are we still counting for the Christmas offering? The mail. Uh, the mail. And so sometimes we get even mail this week uh, that, is, that is backdated in December. Um, and so we, we work to kind of make sure we're accurate with all of that stuff. And so it's exciting news, really exciting news. And so as we went through this past week, we kind of watched it unfold in front of us. And so we are at 101% of our general fund need for the month of December. That's a million and $10,000 that came in through the month of December. Can we celebrate that? That is fantastic. Fantastic news. And so that puts us on track for the budget for the year. December is always a big lift for us when it comes to our budget. And so as we leave the month of December, we're on budget as we head into January, and that's a, that's a big celebration for us. The second part of our Christmas offering was the project, the objective that we're talking about as we go through this year, and that was the ongoing proclamation of the gospel through the replacement of the speaker system in this room and over at the rim at uh, the Oakhurst campus. And then the second part of that is the Bible translation project. Uh, which is partnership with the Russells. And so based on those numbers, we're $10,000 into those projects. That's a project that goes on through the whole year for us. And so you're going to continue to hear about that as we go through the remaining six months uh, of our fiscal year that ends in the month of June. Um, and so I am praising God for his provision, his ongoing provision for the ministry here at Bible Center. And so thank you so much for being a part of that. Thank you for giving faithfully. Uh, above and beyond, sacrificially, many of you gave sacrificially uh, to make this happen, and so we're so grateful for that. Second thing uh, for you is that this past week we had a team uh, that was in Nicaragua. Nicaragua is an area of the world that we have been investing in, and we're exploring how we could invest there maybe even a little bit deeper in the coming months and the coming years in partnership with Beautiful Feet, which is one of our mission partners, and so this team was a little bit different team. We've sent student teams in the past, and this team was more of a, an adult team, kind of vision trip for, for how we might be involved uh, through adult ministries uh, in Nicaragua, and it was a fantastic trip, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you some of those stories in the coming weeks of what they encountered and how God might be moving in us uh, to make a difference in that area of the world right outside of Managua in Nicaragua. And so they're back safely, uh, which is great. They missed a connection in Charlotte, which raise your hand if you've ever missed a connection in Charlotte, right? Um, and so they missed a connection in Charlotte and drove a van back, but got back safely. And uh, we're so grateful for their willingness to, to go over the new year and celebrate New Year's in Nicaragua and serve the Lord through that. And so fantastic job by that team. Mike mentioned a moment ago that these books are available to you in the lobby. If you don't have one of those, I'd encourage you to grab one. They're just great study materials. Um, and so if you have a Bible that you are not a fan of writing in, this will give you something you can write in. Uh, it also gives you kind of a legacy copy of this. You can put in your files, wherever that is, 
uh, when we're done with the series, but it's a great way to interact with the book of Colossians as we go through this together. If you have this with you, uh, we're going to be on page five this morning, page five in this booklet, which is our passage for the day. This booklet is broken up uh, in the passages that we are using for the series. So it's broken up into nine sessions or sections, uh, I should say. And so it kind of goes right along with the series. And so it makes it bite-sized for you or chunk-sized for you. And so you can interact right here in this book if you would like to. Uh, And he's got some things on the left side of page five that he would suggest for you when you interact with the text. I love the things, circle things, box things, underline things. And it gives you a way to interact with the text that's consistent. So when you go back and look at it later, you know, okay, that's what that means. Uh, And so I love that process. And so if you have that with you this morning, that's where we're gonna be as we start out on page five. I wanna give you a little bit of an overview of where we're gonna go with this series. We've broken this series, this nine-week series, we've broken it up into three mini-series, three mini-series, and it kind of goes like this. The first one, we're calling Jesus Overall, and that starts today. And so we're looking mainly at chapter one when we look at Jesus Overall. Colossians chapter one is my favorite book in the entire Bible. It is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. If you were going to try to find something that was epic and soaring and informational and academic and would blow your mind and all of that kind of stuff, Colossians chapter 1 is that. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And it's beautiful. And so I'm so excited to go through this book together. And I'm so excited to go through Colossians chapter 1 together. And so that that chapter is this, this screaming of Jesus is overall. Jesus is overall. What Mike read this morning from Colossians 1, 15 to 17. Jesus is overall. So that's where we're going to start. Jesus is overall. But then we move into Colossians 2. And we're going to see that there's this battle going on within this city over Jesus alone. And there was a a group that wanted to add some things that you had to add to the gospel. And there were some other groups that they were saying it wasn't just Jesus, but it was other things that would be ways to heaven. And I know that doesn't sound familiar at all. We don't deal with that at all, right? But the message of Colossians chapter 2 is Jesus alone. Jesus alone. Jesus alone. And then he finishes up with how does this apply in the life of a believer, And that's Jesus in all, Jesus in all. Everything that we do, every moment of our life, everything, every way that we live, all of us, Jesus is in all of that. So that's the three mini-series that we're gonna work through as we go through the book of Colossians. So that's what's coming. So we'll have four messages here on chapter one, not just because it's my favorite, but uh, because it deserves four messages, but we're looking as we start at Jesus overall. There's some characters that you're going to meet as we go through the book of Colossians. I'm going to introduce you to three of them this morning that come from our passage that we're looking at this morning, Colossians 1, 1 through 8. The first one there is Paul. You're going to hear of Paul, and Paul was the author of the book of Colossians. There's a little tiny bit of debate on that, but not a lot. Uh, most scholars would agree this is a, a Pauline epistle uh, written by Paul, Likely, when he, was, when he was writing this, he was in prison. And there, were, there were four books, four letters in the New Testament written by Paul that were written while he was in prison. And this is one of those books. So we call it a prison 
epistle written by Paul. He also mentions Timothy, and Timothy's with Paul a lot throughout the New Testament, and the way that he mentions Timothy as he starts this letter out might give us the impression that Timothy is part of writing this book. We have some, we have some books that are like that in our day as well that are co-authored in some ways, you know, where you have two names on the front cover of the book, and, and one person will write portions of it, and another person will write portions of it. So there's some debate over whether Timothy was, was a secretary who was taking down what Paul was saying as he was dictating it, or whether Timothy was contributing, actually, to the writing of the book. But we know that Timothy was involved in that. And there's uh, some verses that we'll get to later as we go through this study that talk a little bit about that and, and what Paul wrote and how he wrote it and all that. But Timothy was with Paul, as this was being written. And then the third one we meet today is Epaphras. Epaphras, who is likely from this city, from Colossae. He's likely from Colossae. It's possible that he was the original person who evangelized this city. Because this is in the era where the gospel is now spreading from city to city, and it's brand new. It's never been heard before. And so, there are people who are part of this movement who are evangelizing cities for the first time. That's the first time that they're ever hearing of Jesus and the good news of the gospel. And so Epaphras was part of that. Uh, and it's likely that he started this church. And so we're gonna meet more of these people who were involved in this city and this letter as we go through the letter. But those are three that we're gonna meet today. The setting, the setting, it appears as we study that Paul never actually visited the city of Colossae. So there are lots of cities that he did visit, lots of letters to churches that Paul himself started or founded those churches, but it's likely that he had never been to this church before. His primary knowledge of this church, it likely came from Epaphras, who he calls his trusted or his fellow servant. Most of the believers in this area were likely Gentiles, although there were some Jews some who had been scattered who were part of this city as well. But most of the believers who were part of this church were likely Gentiles. Colossae is not mentioned in the rest of the New Testament. It's not mentioned in Acts or any other New Testament book. This is the only place where we see Colossae. It sat on the banks of a river. It was about 100 miles inland from Ephesus. If you look at our maps, I got a couple for you today, okay? So this is modern-day Turkey, what you're looking at. Um, and if, you, if you're familiar with New Testament and kind of the cities and places from the New Testament, you might recognize some of the names very, very quickly. So Ephesus is one of those. There's the letter to the Ephesian church, and so that is in Ephesus. Uh, and so that was a larger city. It's about 100 miles from Ephesus to Colossae about 100 miles between the two cities. All the way off the map to the left is where you find Rome. If you keep going west on the map, you find Rome. And so that's kind of where we are in the world. If you zoom in a little bit, you start to see kind of how this valley is put together around this river. There's two cities there, Hierapolis and Laodicea, that were actually significant cities in this era. They were significant cities. Laodicea is actually mentioned in Revelation. If you're familiar with the seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation, one of those is Laodicea. The letter itself, Paul instructs later on in the letter to read it also in the church at Laodicea. 
And so he wrote a letter to the church at Laodicea, and he instructed that in that letter to read it in the church of Colossae. And so this was common in that time. And so there was instructions to share what he was writing. Uh, and so Colossae was read in the church at Colossae. It was also read in the church in Laodicea. It was likely written somewhere between 60 and 62 AD. There was an earthquake in Colossae. It was actually, Colossae for a while was a significant city. It was on a trade route uh, and had some significance. But at this time, it was not a significant city at all. It was kind of a small town, so to speak. And right after the date of this writing, there was an earthquake that destroyed most of the city of Colossae. And so most scholars would believe that Paul wrote it prior to that because he doesn't mention it at all. Um, and so there was an earthquake there in Colossae not much long later. So that's a little bit of setup for where we are as we go into this letter. I find it helpful when I read in the New Testament, especially Pauline epistles, to realize that these are letters. They're letters. They were written by a person to a group of people as a letter, much like you or I would write a letter. They just happen to be inspired by the Lord. But it's a letter. A real person wrote a letter to a real group of people to deal with some things that they were dealing with. So one of our board members sent this meme to us the other day uh, on our elder thread. I don't know if you've seen it going around, but it says, if Paul saw the church in America today, we'd be getting a letter. I thought that was pretty funny. The question is, what kind of letter, right? What kind of letter? When you read the New Testament, there's lots of different kinds of letters. And so what kind of letter would we be getting? Well, let's look at how he starts this letter to this group of people in Colossae. Start in chapter one, verse one of Colossians. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has told us about your love in the spirit. Colossians chapter one, verses one through eight. First thing right out of the gate, we see Paul identify himself as an apostle. He says, Paul, an apostle, in chapter one, verse one, it's the first three words of the book. Within the church, there were three offices that existed. And one of those offices was an apostle, an apostle. And so Paul is identifying himself as someone who was chosen by God to serve the church in this way. And so apostles started the church. They started the church. They were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. And they were chosen specifically by the Lord. 
Apostles were chosen specifically by the Lord. As we read the New Testament and we discuss the New Testament and the offices of the church here at Bible Center, we believe that the office of the apostle has ceased. It was for a time and for a moment and it served a purpose. And it was for the launching of the church. And so there was a, there was a requirement to be an apostle that was an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus. To be chosen by Jesus himself. And if you know the story of Paul, you know the road to Damascus and what took place in his life and how his conversion took place. And so there was a choosing of Paul for this mission to the Gentiles by Jesus. He was an apostle of Christ Jesus. There are two other offices within the church that we see within the New Testament. This, the second one is the office of elder or overseer. And so here at Bible Center, we have a, a board of elders, a group of elders that oversee, that lead the ministries here at Bible Center. And those board members, that group of people is qualified or guided by Scripture now. So there's a process that we go through in choosing who is going to serve in that way that is guided by Scripture. If you read the New Testament, you find that elders originally were chosen by apostles. And then ultimately by those who planted churches were choosing elders. And now it's guided by Scripture. It's guided by Scripture. The second office that we see in the New Testament and we have here at Bible Center is the office of deacons. The office of deacons, and so deacons serve the church. Elders lead the church, deacons serve the church, and it's the same qualification for a deacon. It's guided by Scripture. And so the office of apostle that Paul is designating himself here as, we believe has ceased. It served its purpose. It served its role in the launching of the church. There's a book that I would recommend to you if you're interested at all in ecclesiology or the study of of the theology or the doctrine of church. And that's our friend, Dr. Allison. Dr. Greg Allison has written a book in a systematic theology. It's a piece of that and it's the doctrine of the church. And it's exhaustive, you know? And so it's, it's a read. And so if you're looking for something that's a read, it's a read. There is an entire chapter on the offices of the church. And so it's, it's a deep look at the church, but it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Part of our objectives this year as a board, was to evaluate and update our leadership model. And so right now, our elder board is going through this book. We're studying it together. We're opening the Bible together. We're studying what the Scripture would have to teach us about leadership and how it's put together and what it should look like and all of those things. It's been a fantastic study together. I've been really, really happy and really excited about what God's doing behind the scenes in our board meetings as we open the Bible and we study it together and we look at what God has for us in the future here at Bible Center. Second thing there in verse two, he says, to the saints, to the saints. Saints is a word there that is just designating Christ's holy people, Christ's people group. So it's a group of people who know Jesus that he's writing to as he writes this letter. So Paul the apostle is writing this to a group of people who know Christ they are Christ's people group. And so three things I want us to see this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture, verses 1 through 8. The first thing that we see here is that faith and love is their reputation. Faith and love 
is their reputation. Look at verse four. For we have heard, Timothy and Paul, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. I just told you, Paul's probably never even been to this church before. So he starts this letter out by saying, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and we've heard of the way that you love each other. Faith and love was their reputation. That was what went out from their church. That was the way they were seen. What an incredible description of a church, right? What an incredible description. Faith was centered on Christ's work on the cross. Faith was centered in Christ's work on the cross. I have a little illustration for you that I use in youth groups sometimes about faith. So faith is an interesting word. So that's a stool. Somebody somewhere made it, right? And so every time I sit down on this stool, it didn't break, that's good, because that would have been a bad illustration. Every time I sit down on this stool, I am giving evidence that I have faith in the person and the work of making this stool even though I don't have a clue who it is. But every time I sit down on the stool, I'm giving evidence that, that I have faith in that. I have faith in the person, the one who designed it, the one who put it together, the one who came up with, let's use this kind of material, let's make it look like this, let's do four legs instead of three or two or whatever it might be. Like, I'm, I'm evidence, giving evidence that I have faith in that person. Then I'm also giving evidence that I have faith in their craftsmanship. And it's probably a machine but I have evidence, I'm giving evidence that I have faith in their craftsmanship, their ability to make a stool that will hold me up. And so faith in this passage is very similar. So as Paul commends their faith, what he is saying to them is, is I'm so proud of the reputation you have that you have faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You have faith in the person and work, the gospel. You have faith in that. It precedes you. I've heard about it all the way where I am. I'm in prison and I, I am hearing about this faith that you have in Christ. In the person and work of Jesus. This faith was important for him to be able to call them saints the people of God. You know, and as we start this study together, if you don't know Christ, that is the biggest thing I can encourage you to do, to put your faith in him. Because unlike a, a, a stool or a chair or whatever it might be, it will never fail you. God sent Jesus to come and rescue us from our sin in our need, in our time of need, the message of the gospel is that God sent Jesus to come and rescue us from our sins so that we could know God, so that we could be saved, so that we could spend eternity with him. And so this group of people, Paul is commending them for their faith in Christ. I would love it if he was sending us a letter and he was commending us for our faith in Christ. 
I would invite you to place your faith in Christ today. At the end of the service, we'll have some prayer partners at the bottom of the stairs, and they'd love to pray with you and help you know what it means to follow Jesus, to put your faith in Christ today. The second thing he says here is that he's impressed with their love, their love, faith and love with their reputation. And this love is the word agape. It was self-sacrificial. It was not just a friendship type of love. It was a sacrificing type of love. He uses that word on purpose, a word that describes the love of Christ. It was a self-sacrificial love. And then he moves to verse five, and he used the word hope. He uses the word hope. This is a trilogy that exists in other places within the New Testament. You think about 1 Corinthians 13 as one example, or 1 Thessalonians. Faith, hope, and love. In this case, it's faith, love, and hope. And so he uses this several times throughout the New Testament. You could say it this way. Faith is the soul looking upward to God. Love looks outward to others, and hope looks forward to the future. You could say it this way, faith rests on the past work of Christ. Love works in the present and hope anticipates the future, but they're all related. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, love, and hope. Number two, hope in the gospel is their foundation. So if faith and love is their reputation, then hope in the gospel is their foundation. It's where it comes from. Look at verse five, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you, the gospel that has come to you. Their hope resulted in faith and love in the present. Their hope of what God was going to do in the future resulted in them living in faith and love in the present. So this hope was foundational. The hope Look forward to eternity. It looked forward to eternity. He says, the hope reserved for you in heaven. It looks forward to that moment, that day when God will make all things new and he'll put all things back together. There's a hope in that. There's a foundational hope, a bedrock hope in the life of a believer that carries us through anything and everything, and it manifests itself in faith and love. So when I have hope in what God is doing, and God will ultimately one day finish, then I live in faith and love. He speaks to this in 2 Corinthians. He speaks of our groaning right now, and some of you can relate to that, are groaning as we look around at our world and we look around at our culture and we look around at the chaos that is this world right now and the brokenness that is this world. There's a groaning among us. This is not the way that it should be. This is not the way that it should be. But then he says there's confidence, there's hope that when I'm absent with the body, I'm present with the Lord. There's an undergirding of hope that exists in the life of a believer, someone that has claimed Christ. That says, I, my faith is in Jesus and my hope is in what he is doing and what he is bringing. You know, this year you're gonna be tempted 
to put your hope in something else. There are gonna be a lot of ads thrown at you, a lot of people thrown at you, a lot of promises thrown at you as we're in an election year. This person or this thing or this law or this whatever is the thing that should provide you hope. This is the thing that's gonna solve the thing. You're gonna hear it over and over and over again. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God's people shouldn't be involved. And then we should just go, you know, whatever. No, that is not what I'm saying at all. And in fact, as we go through this spring, we're gonna spend some time talking about how to discern, how does the Bible address politics and how we are to live in this world and, and how are we to be involved in that way? I'm not saying we're not involved. What I am saying is that's not our hope. That's not our hope. Our hope is in the gospel, the thing that's reserved for us in heaven. That's what our hope is. The gospel here at Bible Center is central. We put it on the wall out there, so it has to be true, right? It's central. It's the, it's the centerpiece of everything that we are and everything that we do. Everything that we do and are springs from the gospel. It's from that undergirding of hope. It's the thing that we look to. It's why we gather. It's why we're generous. It's why we love our neighbors. It's why all of those values exist because of that hope. It's foundational. It's central. It's the middle of everything. And so Paul, as he's looking at the Colossians, he says, your hope is centered on Christ and the work of the gospel. It's not who sits on the throne in Rome. It's not who sits in the White House. It's not what law is passed or what law will not be passed or who inhabits some governor's mansion somewhere. It's centered on Christ. That's where the hope comes from. It's foundational. It does not rise and fall based on an election cycle. It's steady. It's eternal. Because it's based in Christ. And so don't get lost in the middle of the rhetoric. Don't get lost in the middle of the chaos and give yourself to, I hope in this, that's temporary and fleeting and comes around every two years or every four years. When you've got the savior of the world and the promise of eternity, that can be your hope. The gospel is central. It is the middle. It is why we do what we do. And to the Colossians, Paul says, I love, I love that your ministry, that your life is founded on this hope. And that that hope has led you to express yourself in faith and love. I love that. Number three, and this is beautiful. Number three, visible fruit is the ramification. You're gonna have to give me that one, all right? because I was trying to find a shun word. So ramification was where I got to. And sometimes we read that word and we think of a, of a negative, but in this case, it's a positive. It's the result of. What happens when, when people are living out of faith and love and their hope is in the gospel and, and what God is doing in the world? Visible fruit happens. It's the result of that. It's the ramification of that. That's what takes place. Look at this. 5b to 6, the gospel that has come to you, it is, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. There's an expression in this verse that I want you to see. I think it's awesome. It's two words. 
euangelion, and carpophoreo. said that right. I told Roz this week, anytime I say Greek, I want to say it in Spanish because that's my other language that I know. And so I want to add like a Spanish inflection. And that's not it. That's not how you say Greek. So <laughs> anyway, um, so you forgive when I roll my R's in Greek, all right? But I love this. This is, a, this is an idiom. It's an expression. And we have these in English. Um, like for instance, he has, he has more fish to fry. It doesn't actually mean there are like fish sitting over there that he's got to get to because he hasn't fried those fish yet, right? It means he's got more things he's got to get into, okay? So it's a similar thing. And so this means that the gospel bears fruit. The gospel bears fruit. Not that the gospel is producing apples, okay? And we understand that. We, we get that. We understand that fruit here is referring to changed lives. It's referring to changed communities. It's referring to what the gospel does in the life of a person and in the life of a city when it is unleashed. And so Paul is, is doubling down on what he's just said. This people group that is living out of faith and love that's centered on the hope of the gospel is now seeing that gospel spread. It's seeing it spread. It's happening right in front of them and it's coming because they just... Faith and love, and they're centered on the gospel. Their hope is in Jesus, and they're living that way. And the gospel on its own is, is moving because the gospel is an advancing thing. So read it this way. I wrote it for you this way, and you can mark this in your, in your folders if you'd like to. But you can read it this way. You've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel, you and Gelion, that has come to you. It, gospel, is bearing fruit, and growing all over the world, just as it, the gospel, has among you since the day you heard the gospel and came to a truly appreciate God's grace. What's the feature there? The gospel. So in this letter to the Colossians, he's opening up and he's saying, I've heard of your reputation. There's faith, there's love, that you're living in faith and love. You have a hope in the gospel. But what is happening? The gospel is the theme. It's the central theme of Paul's opening to this church. I'm seeing the gospel advance. What a celebration of a church. There's two things that he points out about it. The first thing is that it's both local and global. It's growing all over the world all over the world. You can, you can hear Paul like, guys, this is, this is crazy. It's growing all over the world. Like this is a guy who's given his life for the advancement of this message, the, the good news of Jesus, and he's celebrating it to a church that he's never even been to. They are evidence that this statement is true. If you're Paul, and you've given your life's work and your blood, sweat, and tears, and you've been in prison and you've been shipwrecked and all the stuff that happened to Paul, planting churches, planting churches, planting churches, and now you're writing a letter to a church that you've never visited because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. It's growing all over the world. 
So he says it's, it's local, it's there, but you guys got to know it's everywhere. And now here, thousands of years later, we're sitting on a Sunday morning in a church gathered with believers that are reading the same letter that Paul wrote when he said it's all over the world. And we have evidence of it being all over the world. It's local and global. The second thing is grace is received and extended. The very close of the verse six, he says, the day you heard it, the gospel, and you came to truly appreciate God's grace. You came to truly appreciate God's grace. I would love that to be said of me. The way I see that is that now I understand the grace that I've received. I came to truly appreciate it. The need that I have for grace, the ongoing, every day, every moment need that I have for grace. But there's a second part of appreciating it. It's not just recognizing that I need it, it's recognizing that you need it too. We need God's grace. And so I receive it. I place my faith in Christ because he's the one. He's the one that can restore my relationship with God. He's the one that provides grace when I fall short. So I receive it, but then I extend it because you need it as much as I do and I need it as much as you do. This church at Colossae, Paul says, you've truly appreciated God's grace. As we close this morning, there's a few things that we think about my heart for the series, for us as a church. What do we want God to do among us? Well, the first thing is that we see Jesus. We see Jesus. Maybe you see Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've never met Christ before. You've never placed your faith in Christ. So maybe you see him for the first time. Maybe you see him for the hundred millionth time but he's like that rarest of diamonds that you just can't ever get used to it. You can't ever solve the whole thing. There's always something else that's beautiful. So we see Jesus. Second thing is that we continue to be known for our faith and our love. Our faith is squarely on what Jesus has done on the cross, the person and work of Jesus. And we love each other. Recklessly, we love each other. In the middle of all the chaos and confusion of our world, we love each other. And we have this hope. That everybody points to. They say, that, that Bible Center, those people that go to Bible Center, 
they're some of the most hopeful people I've ever met. I don't get it. Where does that come from? We have this hope. And that we would see the gospel bear fruit among us, in us, and around our state. That God would do a work in the advancing of the gospel in our state that we would have no other choice but to point at him and say, it's, it's him. It's him. Can we pray together? God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the message and the hope of the gospel. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.